synchronicity it's time for another installment of the canadian third party synchronicity rating authority I really think that that this is part of the way precognition has to work. Um, that that to to prevent paradox, it has to be this unconscious thing. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Dry America Show. We are going to be chatting with Dr. Eric Wargo a little bit later about synchronicities as precognition. It's actually a pretty elegant uh, idea. I, I like it quite a bit. And of course, this is another uh, time machine episode. Recording this quite a bit ahead of schedule. This is coming out while uh, we're on a little vacation. Well, you are. You're on a vacation. Graham's just on a vacation. From I'm the on show. a vacation still, from you. <laughs> yeah, he's on a vacation for me. In all aspects, really. You won't have to deal with me at work, work, or on the podcast. Yeah. You'll be texting me by day three. No. You'll miss me. Oh, no. <laughs> Call me something. <laughs> Um, that's why uh, today I will go with Graham. You should learn how to do the show notes. <laughs> <down live. laughs> we were talking about some cross training in the studio here. Yeah. Well, and we just go through this. We're trying to figure out our, you know, we do these checks, right? Sound checks and stuff. And we try and make sure the audio is good. Darren's a bit of an audio file. And we had this cord plugged into the sound, his clipboard yesterday. Oh, didn't work. The clip cord doesn't work. It was staticky. It was the cord. We figured out it was the cord. So it's another cord we need. And then today we come in and it's fine. Yeah. It's just working. Literally nothing got touched. Nothing got changed. And then. Unless and now it's I'm, when the wicks, when the wixer. The wicks when the wixer warms up. When the mixer warms up. We'll see what No, happens. it can't be the mixer yeah, warming up. Not really. And then there was stuff going on with my audio. So, you know, things are always changing. It was I don't just know why. crackling. I don't know why. We, I would like to just put the whole thing back together with high end cords. Because I really think like that. I don't like the EQ. I like the fucking uh, compressor gate, and I like the preamp. Actually, I'd like to get a bigger preamp. I'd like to get a four-channel preamp so that if we, when we do other in-studios, their mics are as hot as ours. Yeah. Yeah, that's ideally where we want to be. So really, I want to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> but the mixer's good, the computer's good, and so the compressor limiter gate's four-channel, and it's good. So all I really want is a new... EQ. In other words, you've got gas. I've got Big gas. time gas. Yeah. That's gear new, acquisition yeah. syndrome. I want a new EQ. I want a new uh, preamp. Listen to the greedy guy. And, well, I'm not saying right now. I'm just saying like. And we also need to support Adam Curry's venture and buy like the actual little portable thing. And then we wouldn't need all that stuff. You well, just we're set... going to get it. Eventually. Eventually. Jesus. None of that stuff is bad, right? I think the, the new, the four channel. Thing is going to be like 250 bucks and so it's like you get one and we get one in six months and another one in six months. yeah like it took us four years to get all this shit yeah you know it's just the stuff that will eventually start yeah we just yeah exactly as we can it would be nice to have more people in the studio for sure and have the mics as hot because yeah. right now people have those people are yelling and we're you know it's just a mess yeah um and i think the biggest problem there is a preamp and I think we just need new cords because when we started out, we were buying all the cheapest cords. 
Yeah. So we're like, God, I guess that really does make a difference. Well, now all the Chinese shit is just wearing out. Yeah. No offense, China. <laughs> it's true, though. It's. You oh, I didn't mean to get into all that right away, but check out America.ca <laughs> slash support. Uh, hey, we wouldn't even be able to do any of this without the support. The people that support us now. Yeah. yeah. I figure I've got it in at about one in every 250 listeners supports the show. Excuse me. Does that make you sick? Yeah. <laughs> That's not bad. It'd be nice to get that down to like one in a hundred. Yeah, one in a hundred would be good, yeah. Yeah, one percent. Yeah. Be a one percenter. Check out grimmerica.ca slash support. Uh, sign up for a monthly, whether it be a dollar a month, two dollars a month, uh, all the way up to thirty dollars a month. Um, you could be the top of the pile. Um, I did also want to mention there's been a few cancellations lately. I know that's a big possibility that people just get sick of us. Really? Yeah, but I do other cancellation people, of monthly subscriptions. Yeah, but other people also get new credit cards and stuff. Maybe they forget about the show. So if you have got a new credit card or anything like that, uh, some, maybe double check your subscription from time to time. The last thing I'm going to do is email you. If it happens. Really? You don't want to do that? No. How did, how did you find out that the, about I get the an email. from PayPal? Or? I get an email from PayPal, yeah. What does it say? But for, according to what I've heard on No Agenda, that it happens quite a bit to them. Yeah. And those people are getting an email saying, we canceled their shit. Yeah, so we haven't canceled so we anybody. We haven't canceled anything ever. No. Yeah, no. that's good to know. So, yeah. America.ca slash support, guys, if you can. Help me with my gas. Yeah. And just the normal expenses that aren't gas-related. expenses, yeah. Well, our monthly expenses are a little over 200 bucks a month at this point. How about Graham's credit card? Yeah, that doesn't even include internet power or anything like that. That's right. So what we do usually in the intro is we just ramble on a little bit, talk about, you know, beg for your support, and then uh, we have listener feedback and emails, and sometimes we do little segments. I got a good one for you today. I got a... Listener email with some geoengineering stuff in it. It's fantastic. Are you doing the Richard uh, Greer breakdown too? I can, yes, I'm going to do the acknowledged. Oh, you're all excited. The movie acknowledged, and we'll do the little review of that. And we're interviewing Neil Kramer right after. Yeah, so that's just a good night altogether. Bingo, bango. So what do you got first then? Uh, let's do the geoengineering one, I guess. Graham is an all-in believer in chemtrails. Chemtrails. It's been a long time. I had to play it. Can't do my favorite one, eh? I'll play it after. I'll play it out with that, okay? Okay. Do you know that this is people's all-time favorite jingle? Really? You know how disappointed they would be if I stopped playing? There's people in a couple different countries that have that as their ringtone. Really? Yeah. Wow. Now I've had a couple requests for... So actually, Felix, if you could give me an ISO of the blah 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 I've had a couple requests for that as a text tone. <laughs> I don't even remember where that came from. blah 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 Okay, so this is an email from CJ. And it says, Hi, Graham, you may find this interesting. And he sends a link to a bill. This is, this is, I don't know, so this is a good one. And he also says, uh, also found this video to lead to some interesting areas. And it was a YouTube video of this lady talking about why she thinks that chemtrails going on. And it's all about the barium. Barium has many functions. Barium? Yeah, like releasing electrons from atoms and all kinds of, you know, other stuff. Mm. But anyways, the main thing, the main thing about this is this bill. I'm trying to find it here. Um... In this old computer. So this is the state of Rhode Island. 
H6011, and it's relating to health and safety, the Geoengineering Act of 2017. Get this. March, this is pretty new. It's from March 24th, 2017. It was introduced. It was referred to the House Environment and Natural Natural Resources. So they're adding a chapter to the general laws entitled Health and Safety. Chapter 23.8, the Geoengineering Act of 2017. The short title, this chapter shall be known, shall be cited as Geoengineering Act of 2017. The intent, geoengineering is defined herein as the intentional manipulation of the environment involving nuclear, biological, chemical, electromagnetic, and or other physical agent activities that affect changes to the Earth's atmosphere and or surface. The Rhode Island General Assembly finds that geoengineering encompasses many technologies and methods involving hazardous activities that can harm human health and safety, the environment, and the economy, the state of Rhode Island. It is therefore the intention of Rhode Island to regulate all geoengineering activities as further set forth by the terms and provisions of this chapter. So the scope, the findings of fact, the scope of geoengineering, inclusive of solar radiation management and other technologies, geoengineering activities are diverse and vary greatly in their characteristics and consequences. Geoengineering may involve ground-based and or atmospheric-based deployments, including, without limitation, the use of aircraft, rockets, UAVs, drones, and or large balloons. Solar radiation management geoengineering activities requiring state licensing including without limitation cloud cover production that's ariel ariel, <laughs> ariel reese's ariel 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 releases of water vapor producing man-made cloud cover cloud whitening that's sea salt or other particulates injected Whoa. No cloud whitening around here, but <laughs> make the clouds more reflective, after which the salt or other particulates rain out over land areas and freshwater supplies. Salt flare rockets fired into clouds. These rockets trigger rain downpours containing salt. Space sunshades or sun shields. Huge parasol like devices reducing the amount of direct sunlight reaching the Earth's surface. Solar shields are atmospheric sunscreens, reflective particulates such as sulfur dioxide and aluminum oxide released into the atmosphere block sunlight from reaching Earth's surface, after which such particulates rain down as pollution. Don't forget, this is an act in the government, the state of Rhode Island, trying to figure out how they're going to control the geoengineering that's already going on. Right? Thank you. Otherwise known as chemical trails. <laughs> Reef dropped the spray. That was just after United my rant. England, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Europe. And I have personally seen them not only in the United States but in Mexico. Alright. Number six. Birds are dying around the world. <laughs> Reflective space mesh mirrors. That's wire mesh mirrors deployed in space, reducing the amount of direct sunlight over the Earth's surface. Planetary sunshades. These largest of SRM operations use particulates to cover over time the whole Earth, stripping the ozone layer as much as 76% and reducing the amount of direct sunlight reaching the Earth's surface. 
Wouldn't you have to increase the ozone layer for that? I don't know. Stripping the ozone layer by as much as 76%. So, mm. yeah, that's weird, eh? How would how it would actually um, reduce the amount of sunlight after stripping the ozone? Yeah. I guess it's covering over time, so it's covering it, reducing the, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, don't speculate. I'm not a no, no, don't speculate. Art- artificial ionosphere, a sustained high-density plasma cloud is produced in the Earth's upper ap- atmosphere. Large helium balloons, which release atmospheric contaminants, and rocket emissions, including water, water vapor, and a green, which is a greenhouse gas. Additional geoengineering activities requiring state licensing without limitation. Ocean fertilization by iron or lime seeding. Re-icing or cooling the Arctic or other areas through artificial means. Ocean cooling pipes. Weather modification involving the release of sea salt, silver iodide, barium, and or other particulates to enhance rain or snow in one area while reducing the availability of rain or snow in other areas. Genetically modified CO2 eating plastic trees. Glacier reflecting blanket deployment. Land-based and ocean-based carbon sequestration. Carbon dioxide geosequestration and carbon capture or removal, which processes involve capturing what is considered waste carbon dioxide and depositing at storage sites. Nitrogen removal and sequestration, carbon black or carbon black releases, deliberate atmospheric releases of soot to to produce artificial weather events. Atmospheric deployment of radio frequency microwave radiation other than that needed for safe aviation or deployment of other physical agents for stated and or unstated purposes. Unbelievable. Aircraft geoengineering activities include those carried out from any type of aerial vehicle, rocket, drone, or balloon that involve the release or deployment of any nuclear radiation, any biological or transbiological agent, any chemical substance, other than the aircraft's fuel emissions, which are harmful but necessary for flight, or any chemical mixture such as chaff, any electromagnetic radiation other than radar and radio communications necessary for aircraft safety, or any physical agent shall be subject to regulation, including the licensing process pursuant to this chapter. Consequences. Oh, this is, this is a good one. Okay, this is, uh, it's almost done here. It's quite long, but it's almost done. This is the consequences. Consequences. Where did it go? Oh, ran away. So this is uh, chapter E. Consequences. Documented problems. Documented problems arising from geoengineering activities include, but are not limited to, Global dimming, causing reduced vitamin D absorption in humans and animals and reduced photosynthesis. Changes in distribution patterns and chemical contents of local rainfall. Contamination of air, water, and soil as particulates fall to the Earth's surface. Degradation of human, animal, and plant health when people and other living organisms are exposed to falling particulates and other atmospheric contaminants. The acceleration of biodiversity and species losses, especially the loss of endangered and threatened species. Less direct sunlight reaching the earth, fewer winter freezes, and higher humidity resulting in increased molds, mildew, fungi, and pest problems. Increases in acid rain loads from the airborne injection or releases of sulfur and aluminum oxide with human, animal, plant, and water resource degradation. The near impossibility of restoring natural resources with the undermining and devaluation of state-funded conservation programs. 
Changes in microclimates, local weather, and large-scale climates within short periods with greater likelihood of increased and cascading effects. Droughts and flooding, which may severely impact state, regional, and global food production. Increases in ultraviolet radiation. The decay of decades of the ozone layer, potential recovery. The burden that airborne reflective particulates must be repeatedly replenished since their atmospheric time is limited. Visibility impairment and clutter impeding aviation safety and increasing the likelihood of small and large particle collisions. And then finally, economic losses to various sectors of society and the state itself resulting from, without limitation, health damages and increased health care needs, contaminated soils and drinking water supplies, decline of fisheries, loss of pollinators such as bees, decreases in agricultural crop yields, dead and dying trees, loss of habitats, pollution cleanup costs, and decreases in solar power production from lack of direct sunlight reaching the Earth's surface. So that gives you a good idea. I won't read the rest of it. It's it's talking about definitions and all that. So where where is this in the media? Where is this talking about how this affects global warming, right? Global dimming sounds worse. So they're out there propagating this fucking hoax about global warming. Like, I believe that now. I, you know, I don't want to be too much of a believer, but I mean, we've, we've talked well, to enough scientists on the other side, right? That, right? Yeah. I'm that this period, up. this period of climate change is actually chill. Bullshit. It's chill compared to the last 15,000 years. Climate changes. And this is what we're doing intentionally, probably all over the planet. So Rhode Island is trying to grab a hold of this, right? And control it. Like you got to license it. Isn't Rhode Island like 50 miles across? <laughs> exactly. So good job. They're just going to be going around their little yeah. state. It's going to be a clean good. spot above Rhode Island. No, it's just going to blow in. But I mean, that's probably happening all over the world. Probably. Right? Where is that taken into account? Maybe it's a chink in the armor. It needs to be taken into account. Okay. Ugh. You should go do a like little Senate subcommittee hearing or something. I started out with the 1978 Senate report, right? And it got a little dry because it was old and it was talking about like the 20s and 30s and the 40s. And then I got into the, the uh, patents were fascinating. It was a list of patents. Fascinating. I mean, this is all happening, right? It's just fascinating. And now this. Anyways, I don't know if I'm thankful for Rhode Island for addressing it or just like does it piss me off more I don't know how to feel anyways it doesn't matter did you, did you shut your ringer off now yeah okay thanks sorry about the, that the audience thanks you it's my sister she should know should she yeah you should know <laughs> really so what else you got ooh don't you have uh, you want to do your rundown what do I have for, what do I have for a jingle that hmm. could be a Graham's rant. Could be, yeah. I don't know if I have that. Oh no, that don't work either. I don't have the rant jingle on here yet. Do you want to do the UFO quote real quick then, or what? We'll just get right into that. I mean, that could be profound UFO quote of the week. 
All right, my favorite part. This is the UFO quote of the this week. This is your favorite part. I've been convinced You've for a long time. Two, over 200 of the greatest minds on the planet. And this is your favorite part. Yeah. This is another greatest mind. Well, over 100 of the yeah. greatest minds. I've been convinced for a long time that the flying saucers are real and interplanetary. In other words, we are being watched by beings from outer space. That's from Albert M. Chop, Deputy Public Relations Director, National Aeronautics and Space Administration. I should just say it like that. And former United States Air Force spokesman. I agree. For Project, I would support that. For Project Blue Book. It makes you sound like less of a hillbilly. Yeah. You make Canadians sound bad. Down at the NASA there, down in America, flying to the moon and shit. I got a synchronicity talking about that. You want to go? Let's, let's do that one. Is this quote over? Yeah. So, uh, whoa, this is a bullet jingles this episode. I haven't heard from Gitmo in a while. Let us know if you're okay, buddy. Synchronicities all over the web. And Darren is skeptical about everyone. And don't believe it yet. That's a small synchronicity. So it's more fun. It's more fun because of what we're talking about. So this is from uh, Mike. He says, hello, guys. I've been listening Liberal for Mike. a little. What? I don't know. <laughs> For a little over a year now, and I really enjoy the show. I'm a pretty big believer in synchronicity, and although I know this one isn't much, and Darren will likely rate it very low, I'd like to share it with you guys. I'm an independent insurance adjuster, and I travel around for my job. Although I'm from North Texas, I'm currently in eastern Tennessee for work. I guess the point is, is we do have nuclear power plants back home. Ooh, you said nuclear, right? I, I know, I really, <laughs> really took a lot of effort. <laughs> Anyways, I'm a bit behind. I'm a bit behind on the last episodes due to work, and one the other morning I had an hour's drive to get to my first client, so I loaded up episode 219. America talks Fukushima and the death of the Pacific with Dana Durnford. So as I go to get off the interstate, I notice my exit was the same as the Watts Bar nuclear plant. On a side note, Watts Bar Dam is the subject of many haunting discussions. It was featured on Ghost Adventures. I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm normally nowhere near a nuclear plant, and the day I play the episode is the day I drive by a nuclear power plant. Here's the fun part. <laughs> so I get to my client and introduce myself. To break the ice a little, I ask, so what do you do for work, and so on. And the guy replies in his very best southern accent, well, I originally moved here when we were building the great, and he says, get ready for it, nuclear plant. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly thinking back on the intro of that episode, Mocking W, I nearly lost my breakfast trying to hold on in my gut, bursting in laughter. Anyways, thought you guys might enjoy that as That's much as guy. I did. Thanks okay. for the great product and keep up the awesome work. Fucking Grambo and J. George W. and some guy in Tennessee. Huh. That's a good one. What's going to get a point four two? You know what? I'm going to give you. Go ahead, give you a six point six point four two. So he says, on a different note, I'm currently putting a website and a podcast together on the paranormal. It's called Undiscovered Origins. You guys follow me back on Twitter and also thanks. I put together a few shows, asked for, and talked via email a time or two with Kyle of Expanded Perspectives for setup support, and was getting things in order to get rolling. Then I've been working all over the place since November due to crazy weather, and that's been going on. 
I didn't want to put out contents and then stop again. So I put it on hold while I build up reserves to keep things going. I hope to be able to visit a few paranormal locations while I'm back east for some content. Anyways, I just want to say thanks for the inspiration. And hopefully one day I'll have a product that is half as great as you guys. Thanks again. Or twice as great. That's funny because I actually helped Expounder Perspectives convert their artwork for iTunes back in the day. Yeah, those guys are great. Yeah. Kyle and Phil. Kyle and Cam. Kyle and Cam. <laughs> Why did I think Phil? Kyle Filson. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, Cam. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I don't think that's yeah. liberal, Mike. Let us know if you're liberal, Mike. That's one of the guys in the chats. Oh, right. Okay. We've affectionately oh. dubbed him liberal, Mike. We didn't talk about the chats. Oh, you love the chats. I haven't been in there much. Did I scare you out? <laughs> I feel bad because I don't have time to stay in there, so I feel like I'm just popping in. That's and what leaving. I do. I just pop and in. And then people say, say hi, that I'm gone. <laughs> say crazy shit and leave. Post but no, it's fun. There's some conference. great conversations. I thought you were actually going to have a rundown for us there because you were involved in some pretty interesting interesting conversations. I was? Yeah. But what? I don't know. I just got <laughs> the gist of it. But Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying half the time. No, the chats are fun. Yeah, but good luck, uh, Mike, with your, your podcast and stuff. Yeah, let us know when you launch. And we'll what was it called? Undiscovered Origins. Yeah, it's good. Discovered Origins. We'll give you a little bump. And yeah, check out the chats if you want. There's room for 30 more people. Go to america.ca slash uh, hangout. That's right. Yeah, it's all in the show notes. Links in the show notes. Yeah, that's right. So there's room for 30 people. If you don't have an avatar, you will get fucking booted. <laughs> Unless you're my mom. We just found out She's recently. She's the only non-avatar in there. And Neil Davies. I spared him. Did you? I don't know why. Probably because he's been uh, around since day one contacting the show, and I know he's a real person that sends you jingles. Cool. And he had just joined the day before, so I gave him a, some time. But it, actually, by the time this episode comes out, if he has an avatar up, he'll be fucking gone too. <laughs> we just found out we can only have 150, so people are getting, having a hard time getting in there. That's right. It's too bad you couldn't interlink them somehow. And then yeah. I talked about doing like a Mastodon, but then a couple no. people were like, no, it's just not the same, you know, like, the perpetualness of the chat is. Well, we should talk about that new social media platform. I mentioned it to you. I'll look into that. Spark or jump or tango or whatever the fuck it was <clears throat> no i can't remember um eric i might be able to find it here. ah whatever this isn't going to come out for a month you should have sorted it by then yeah the chats might not even exist by the time this comes out but if it doesn't i'll use the same link anyway so yeah i gotta find it i do want to find it though so and i think we'll just develop an app eventually that fucking will have the chat worked into it I guess. If we can ever get that together. That could be a couple of years away, but you know how to develop such an app, let us know. Okay, so I'll do this little rundown then. So rundown. This is the movie Unacknowledged from Stephen Greer. It's his new one. I mean, that's a very controversial subject in here. Because I go out and practice the C-City protocols and stuff like that, and we had a couple other people on talking about it. Uh, 
Darren's got, yeah, you know, anyways, there's just some different opinions about the whole thing. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, this this movie, Darren, you should see it just as an overall view of what's going on. It doesn't get too I crazy. Did you know what? No, you didn't. Yeah, I watched it last night. I fell asleep, actually. Come on. I was just, I, I, I had a little trouble with the part where he started crying a couple of times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was having trouble getting through that part. And it didn't seem to have an overarching. I, knew, I was thinking about Look at how great I am theme to it. I was, looking, I was thinking I about mean, you. Some of the, the, some the, of the testimony and the in testimony. the quotes was good. But yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing seems like a, I'm great rear and I'm not getting enough. Okay, you know, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Yeah, but he has put in a lot of effort to try and do to cry this. a couple of times. He did. That was not genuine crying. You don't think so? No. <laughs> so <laughs> didn't expect that, did you? Were you gonna mention the crying? I, I think yeah, I think I have a I have a note in here about it. Oh maybe not. No. Yeah, I must have put one in here. Because I know <laughs> I jumped out right I away. I was like, what? Greer seems humble. Like, What's he crying about? I gotta rewind, oh, yeah, I gotta rewind wanna, that to see why he's that? crying. And he's like, he's crying over nothing. I've got hundred million a day on classified, and then I've got Michael Schratt, and then I got Greer gets all choked up. <laughs> That's my notes on it. But he does seem humble for for the most part. And he talks what? about the history of the disclosure. Are you kidding? He seems humble. Did you see the shots? Well, when it's with his childhood sighting? The cinematography of him just looking great. Come on. Come on. Well, maybe that was a different part of it. <laughs> so anyways, he talks about the history of disclosure, which was interesting, That's right? A, In 2001, was that, was, that was really good. The testimonies were good. And the history of C-SETI going back to 1990. He's I mean, I joined, look, I joined C-SETI in 94, and I heard about this thing happening, and he followed Grundy through. Grundy went to it, too. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. Grundy did a good job of, of reviewing it. And these good shit. Check out so, Mysterious Universe. So Act 2 is about the rabbit hole and it talks about the NRO secrecy and NSA, CIA, Roswell connection, all that kind of stuff. The Canadian memo that Grant Cameron always talks about, he talks about that. And then USAP is the unexpecial, <clears throat> sorry, the unacknowledged uh, special access programs, right? The black budget they think is one to 100 to 200 billion a year, 100 million a day on classified. 100 million a day? Uh, yeah, oh, on hundred. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe, right? Do you like that part? Uh, the picture. And there's a memo that you know it's pretty damning. <laughs> yeah, she was gonna blow the whistle. I can't get over the cry. Ruin <laughs> the whole movie for me. And then they get into the media problem. Intel influenced the cash paid. By the CIA, the Robertson panel, which was in 1952, basically saying the media's got to take care of this. And it's been pretty bad ever since. And then, you know, the part... There's a lot of interesting quotes. Yes. And we were getting, we were going back and forth into, you know, the use of fossil fuels and pollution and all that stuff with There's a couple a of our listeners. There's a lot of quotes right? that you haven't used. I was actually stunned that I haven't heard these quotes before. I was expecting That's... that the quote part, I should have been like fucking all over it. And there are all these great quotes that you haven't decided for whatever reason not to use. That's why I like the movie because it had a bunch of new stuff in it. It was pretty good, an overarching thing, but he really put it all together with a lot of new stuff as well. I feel like when we have a quote segment, a profound UFO quote segment, you should, we should be the guy that, you know, got the head of the game. Yeah. Yeah. He talks about Ben Just Rich, saying. Ben Rich quite a bit from Skunk Works, right? And he yeah. gets a little bit more in detail about that as well. 
And you know, we talk about fossil fuels here a lot, right? And this is this is kind of where How much was it? What? Movie? I, I pre ordered it. So I was really like, you know, as soon as it came out, iTunes took it out of my account. Twenty bucks? Or? Yeah. So patent confiscation. He <laughs> talked about the patent patent confiscation, right? All the false flags. And how maybe, you know, Project Bluebeam and the UFO one might be coming. And the French doc document, uh, the documentary about making contact and the President Sarkozy. Like, there's some really good stuff in there. I didn't get that far. Yeah, you should that you should that finish it finish it off for sure. I fell asleep. Yeah. The crying was up. This is where yeah, the energy. He's right about this. This is where the twenty fucking bucks. I the pressure for the pressure for new energy has to come out of this, right? People have to start getting upset that you know we're burning fossil fuels. Yeah, well, somebody's flying around in these craft. Alien. Not saying it's alien. No, people. The fucking breakaway civilization. People from the future. The last Could episode. Be. Yeah. No, that's next episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. Time doesn't matter here. Time doesn't matter in the igloo. What the fuck else you got? That's it, buddy. That's it? Yep. They already asked for money? Yep. Sign up for the newsletter. So we'll talk about all the other shit that you can do that doesn't cost you money. Drummer.c slash news. Sign people up for the newsletter. Tell people about this show. Seriously, you guys are our only uh, avenue for uh, marketing. marketing. Yeah. So you gotta be tweeting it and Facebooking it, or you know, find some place to share the show if you can, when yep. you can. Tell us how you found it. Tell us how you found the send show. feedback and emails, stories, synchronicities. Yeah, all the contacts on grammarica.ch. Contact. We got a bunch of great bloggers. If you're on a blog, shoot me an email. Um, oh, talk about the Red Pill Expo as well coming up. Oh no, right. I shouldn't this because this is coming Expo. out the day of. The day of the expo. You're at the so, expo. You're at the expo. If you're listening to this, Australia. you might see me there. Actually, I'm fucking driving back, right? I'll probably be back tomorrow. <laughs> my vacation is over. Now I'm sad that my vacation hasn't even started yet. There you go. Son of a bitch. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat with Dr. Eric Wargo. It is Something's out there in space that regulations don't cover. Let's just wait a sec here. Is that how you pronounce your name? Yeah, Wargo. I don't, yep. I don't think I've said it aloud much. I just keep reading it. Yeah, <laughs> so I know. <laughs> Wargo, right? Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not starting over. No, it's okay. All right, how so, would you have thought it was going to be pretty I don't know, Darren. It doesn't matter. It's just that the first time we've ever done that, so it's been pretty <laughs> good. 225 episodes.
<laughs> All right, tonight we've got Dr. Eric Wargo here. <clears throat> he's a science writer in Washington, and he's been, uh, you know, researching stuff like archaeology, psychology, and neuroscience research. Uh, he's a, got a PhD in anthropology. He's got a really interesting take on synchronicities. He's got a website called thenightshirt.com, and there's tons of great blogs in there. I've been listening to them and reading them uh, recently. Really interesting stuff. I'm sure we're going to get into some precog and synchronistic information and his take on it. So uh, without further ado, welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. Great to be here. How are you doing today? Good? I'm doing excellent. Right on. I think we should just, I mean, geez, we, we, we talk about synchronicities all the time. People send in their stories to us. So we've, we've read like a ton of firsthand accounts. Darren likes to rate them. I've heard you chat on, I've heard your episode on skeptical a couple times. Like it's really interesting because we often get into this chat after reading. I mean, there's, there's your small, like mini synchronicities, but then there's these real complex compound ones. But a lot of times we get into this chat where, it's, it's a question of whether, like, could it be some sort of precog thing or could it be some manifestation? Like, when you talk about the law of attraction and how our thoughts manifest things, you wonder if it's what comes first, right? Is it the, are you, are you uh, precognizing that this, this event is going to happen or that this is, this is going to happen or, or are you manifesting it? Yeah, uh, that's, you know, that's a, uh, key question in parapsychology and and uh, and I as you know from reading my blog I've kind of got a, a pretty strong opinion on on what's going on with synchronicities uh, and I do think it's precognition I think that um, now, okay, let me say, I won't, I won't say that there's no way in which we manifest things, yeah, you yeah. know, psychokinetic stuff. I'm not really, you know, I really don't, that's not my area. So I am yeah. yeah, not going to say that that's not operative. Yeah. yeah you're not dogmatic but, about it. Yeah. Right. But I think that, that precognition is, you know, it's very well supported in parapsychology research. I mean, there's a lot of really robust support for the existence of precognition or presentiment, which is the sort of variant that Daryl Bem and Dean Radin, Julian Mossbridge, a few other people have been exploring, especially in the last decade, two decades, which is, you know, sort of, sort of this unconscious response to you know, future events, you know, usually very imminent events in our lives. Yeah. But when you combine that with all of the, the data, experimental data, but especially just anecdotal data uh, on, you know, precognitive dreaming, uh, all kinds of uh, precognitive visions and prophecies and so forth that have been, recorded uh throughout history uh and you know compiled in really excellent uh uh archives uh you know by the rhines for instance at duke university and so forth it's just you know overwhelming evidence that we are responsive to our future right now now where i have gone with this you know a lot of Parapsychologists say, yeah, that's fine. It's, you know, one of three classic ESP modalities. You know, you have precognition, but then you also have clairvoyance and telepathy, okay? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and 
And then other people talk about synchronicities and, you know, how there's, you know, uh, a causal connecting principle and all that, that the Carl Jung idea. Well, what I've tried to do is kind of push the precognitive idea and see, well, you know, can this really explain those other manifestations? And I'm definitely not the first person to push that idea. Um, uh, for instance, uh, you know, very great parapsychologist Ed May, uh, you know, really thinks that precog- it's all precognition. It's all some sort of manifestation of precognition, you know, because the, you know, you, you know, you can imagine that, that you say a remote viewer, you know, is, is, is seeing a, a target distant in space, but you don't know that that, you know, you have, you have no way of confirming that until there's a feedback, until there's there's some point, future time point at which you learn, oh, that's what I was seeing. That's what I was looking at. Uh, and he's saying, well, what if you're just seeing that point of feedback? And I totally agree with that. And I think uh, it becomes very interesting to kind of push the idea that precognition may be behind a lot of uh, psychic phenomena, paranormal phenomena. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm doing on my blog, I guess, is I'm trying to really push this precognitive model and see what it can explain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a very simple explanation. I, I guess that's part of what I like about it is that it's, it's, it's really a lot simpler, I think, than, than some of the other, uh, explanations that are bouncing around out there and i'm kind of taking a sort of contrarian view i think uh uh i'm not you know i wouldn't characterize myself as a materialist kind of bad guy i mean (laughs) like uh you know there's a lot of bashing of materialism these days and I, i i totally get where that's coming from but i i think it's really interesting to sort of take a a very narrow view of precognition as this as as this really personal uh, you know, this, the brain's preview of its own future and sort of the brain as this, this tunnel through, through your own timeline, uh, and to see how far that gets you. And I think it's, I, I, I really think it can explain a lot. Well, the interesting thing about that is it doesn't even really make it any less profound for these people that, I mean, you hear people that, Let's say, you know, if you if you follow these little synchronicities, it's often a sign that you're on the same path. And I mean, if you're talking about future reward, the right path. then you're you're noticing that that, you know, you're noticing these things is the same thing in reverse, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't really change the value. Uh, uh, all it does, you know, I love, I, you know, the term synchronicity is just a term for when these events happen. It's, you know, it's great. Yeah, that was a synchronicity. We all know what we mean when we use that term. And so in that sense, it's great that Jung gave us this term that we can use. What I disagree with is his ex- explanation, his explanatory model that, oh, it's this principle in the universe, this a-causal connecting principle, you know, it has to do with archetypes. Uh, it's, and it, you know, it sort of collapse. He, he literally says you know, you collapse, it collapses the time dimension. Well, I think that the moment you say this, that something's a causal, you've essentially taken it out of the realm of science because science deals in causes, right? I mean, there's no science, you know, science is all about causal explanations of one kind or another. Now at the time Jung was writing, 
the notion of retro causation was not really on anybody's radar. I mean, even even the quantum physicists at that point were not really talking about that. Um, and so, you know, he can be forgiven for not kind of really, really wrapping his head around this possibility of, of sort of causal, you know, two-way causal arrows, you know, causation coming from the past, but also causation sort of pushing from the future, you know, and, and sort of the, the events as, as sort of a, a handshake agreement between past and future. Um, and now there's really mind blowing experiments being done just in the past, you know, six, seven years. I mean, really recent stuff in, in physics that's showing that, you know, you know, yeah, this is, this is a real thing. Um, and simultaneously there's really, you know, amazing work, uh, being done in, you know, the new field of quantum biology. Uh, you know, it's really you know, it starts looking very much like the brain's going to turn out to be this, you know, you don't want to use overuse the computer metaphor, but, you know, it's going to be this quantum computer type thing right. that 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 may well be able to pass information back and forth through time. And uh, at least that's, you know, I think that's a, a very that's not an absurd proposition. Um, so yeah. here's a question. Now, if that's the case, then does that then mean that the does that take free will out of the equation i mean it, right that's the big sticking point for people absolutely and and, and i, think I mean you, i kind of look, would look at it as a possibility yeah no i you know i have no trouble with jettisoning free will and i know that sounds like oh my god you know what you know what are you saying but i i really i would simply ask people to just try on this idea. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying you have to commit to jettisoning free will from your picture of the universe, but just, you know, sit with it a while and meditate with it. Um, and see if you don't ultimately find that maybe this whole notion of free will versus determinism and all that, maybe the whole question itself is a kind of, a kind of, MacGuffin. That's not, you know. Um, I think that, that that it's a kind of a a hang up. I think it's a hang up for people, and I think it's a hang up particularly for our culture because we're a very, you know, very individualistic, free will culture. We very much prize, you know, the notion that we determine our fate and so forth. Um, but you know, it may. And, you know, and, and, and just on a day-to-day -day level, I mean, there's no way you can't, whether there's free will or not, doesn't affect how you, you know, you still have to get up in the morning, you know, you still have to put on your pants and, and make your oatmeal. You can't just lay in bed because, oh, it's all determined. Uh, so it really, in a way, it's just a, it's just an idea, the idea of freedom versus the idea of determinism. It's all just, these are all just ideas. Well, and even and, if you did stay in bed, there's no way of knowing that you that wasn't, you know, predetermined. Right, right. I mean, that doesn't it doesn't mean anything. And uh, so when I ha so I have this discussion with a lot of people because this is yes, this is the first thing the the first thing that people think. Well, what does this do to free will? And uh, I I really ask people just just 
treat it as, you know, I, I, I some come from sort of a Zen tradition and I sort of like, I, it's for me, it's become actually kind of a cone, you know, uh, a, a kind of Zen kind of riddle. You just kind of, you know, think, meditate on the idea of the universe as a glass block. That's the, 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 uh, the, the metaphor that Einstein's teacher, Hermann Minkowski, uh, offered for space time as this, as this four dimensional glass block. And everything in this glass block has a world line. Like every particle, every individual, you know, has is a line, you know, extending through this, this glass block. And, you know, any moment is sort of a cross section of, of your, the four dimensional, you know, worm like you that extends through, <laughs> through the glass block. Um, you know, just kind of meditate on that idea and see if it doesn't, if the, the problem of free will doesn't eventually kind of, uh, vanish. And actually the most recent post I wrote on my blog was about, about this and this idea in, in Zen. There are a lot of Zen stories, uh, about, uh, Zen masters kind of having this epiphany that, Oh, it's all, we are basically living in a glass block. Everything is permanent. And, the, 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 the flux of things and free will, it's all an illusion. Uh, and that doesn't, and that's not depressing <laughs> when you, when you have this kind of epiphany in a sort of a Zen frame of mind, this is, it's, it's incredibly exciting and, and liberating. It's not like this, this horrible, depressing, nihilistic thing that you might imagine. Um, so I just, I kind of, yeah, I have this, this, this discussion a lot with, with friends who are sort of on the one hand, they're kind of, they have one foot, you know, in the, in the precognition, retrocausation water, you know, they kind of want to, you know, uh, join me there, but then they're kind of hanging back because, you know, what does it do to free will? Mm. Another, uh, you'll find a lot of, um, a lot of parapsychologists who are in this will sort of try and take a sort of compromise position by saying, uh, by, well, they'll, they'll invoke the, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. The, uh, the idea that, well, every decision point, uh, creates a new universe. So, yeah. you know, so at every particle at every measurement, you know, creates multiple universes, you know, everything that didn't happen is happens in another universe. And I don't know. I, I just, you know, I'm not a quantum physicist, obviously, but I, I feel like this is a cop out. Um, it's, it's kind of a way to have our cake and eat it, too. It's kind of a way to to have all this quantum spookiness and uh, but also preserve kind of these things that we value as humans or at least we think we value, um, such as this idea of free will. Um, but it's a complex question. Yeah. Because it's like, it, it sounds when you say, when, when you, when you say, Oh, maybe there's no free will that just sounds just horrible to people. I mean, that's just really repulsive. Well, I can and get I, on board I, with it on, a, <laughs> ma- on a macro level. I can get on board with it, right? Like maybe you can make those small decisions, like whether you're going to have a Pepsi or a Coke or a water, or, <laughs> yeah. but on a big level, I mean, it's a consciousness thing, right? Like your biology doesn't care about free will or have free will. And probably none of the other animals on the planet really give a shit about free will. Right. So, I mean, even if you were to meet in the mill and call yourself like some sort of, you know, uh, AI sort of algorithm that's sort of learning as it goes based on experience, then, you know, I could, I can, I could throw free will out that way for sure. <laughs> yeah. Just make it free willy. 
which starts to sound a lot more like <laughs> free Willy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> starts to sound a lot more like a program. Yeah, yeah. Than a person. Yeah. Huh. So, because because for me, there's a bunch of different types of synchronicities. You know, there's those little ones where. You know, I'm listening to something on my headphones, let's say, and then, you know, this funny, this weird phrase comes up at the exact same time I turn to look and somebody's uh, shirt has the exact same phrase on it, you know, like, where's the precog in that kind of thing? Or is that just a coincidence? You know? Well, you know, I think about, I've thought about that problem. Yeah, there are those synchronicities that seem like it's some objective confluence of events that that, that is independent of your own, even your own precognition. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, but, but, but actually when you, uh, when you factor out all the other pre all the other synchronicities that I think really are basically precognition or have precognition at their root, then those, that, that becomes a very small subset of synchronicities. And then, and then I'm comfortable saying, well, that's just, chance yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, there, is, yeah. there is just chance you know i'm not I, you know i, I don't want to be a, a a reductive you know uh, like one of these psychologists saying well it's all you know we just are bad at estimating the probabilities of improbable events and all that i i think that's uh you know while yes it's true uh, on some level i i that does not explain you know what the, the profound experiences that people have uh uh the synchronicities and precognitive dreaming and so forth um, but, but there is, there is definitely is that factor. And so, yeah, that's good. That's going to happen sometimes. Yeah. And they're also, I mean, I, I could get into that as well. I mean, if there's a small subset of it and some of those could just be random chance or coincidence, but then there also could be a hidden, maybe even a subconscious precog thing going on. Like maybe I turned right instead of left for some reason, Exactly. you know, or, or something led me to that moment of, uh, emotional resonance or whatever, or, or residue. Yeah. Exactly. Your decisions, you know, very far, you know, far back in time leading you to that point, you know, could all have been, you know, unconsciously guided. And and this is really uh, I'm I really think that that this is part of the way precognition has to work, Um, that that to to prevent paradox, it has to be this unconscious Thing. It's not you're not going to be conscious of precognizing uh, and, unless there's just no chance of of altering an outcome, uh, which is why almost all precognition you realize is only visible in retrospect. I think this is the for me, uh, this has been a really yeah. fascinating. This has been a really fascinating, probably the most surprising and fascinating uh, aspect of precognition for me and my own kind of work with it. Um uh, you know, I've I've been, you know, for the last few years, just you know, very assiduously recording dreams and and other you know meditative visions and things like that yeah. and hypnotic states and and really correlating them with subsequent. You know, it's like I've got you know massive you know piles of of precognitive evidence. It's like it's I'm I'm no longer in any kind of doubt about the existence of this. I mean, it not it matches everything that 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 you see in the literature, but but it's like I think you you embark on this path, imagining that maybe oh this is going to be developing a new superpower or something, you know, and you imagine oh I'm going to be able to use this to predict my future and going to you know like I don't have a lot of 
ambition to go to Las Vegas or anything like that. But the point is, but, but, you know, you'll, you imagine somehow you could use this to improve your outcomes. And I think you, you can, but it's not as simple as, as, Oh, having a vision of, of, of something and, and using it to, to change your, your course of action. I mean, it's much more, uh, you know, you realize in hindsight how you were kind of unconsciously guided toward a reward. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not, it's very much outside of free, it's very much outside of the whole domain of free will. So, you know, if, if there is free will, it does not apply to the precognitive, uh, side of you. Um, but yeah, and, and it produces these synchronicities that are, are, you know, numerous and, and I, and I do, but you know, here where I don't disagree with, you know, synchro synchro mystics and, uh, people in a kind of Jungian archetypal psychology vein. I don't disagree that, that synchronicity is kind of an indicator of, of something. It's, it's, you're tuned into something that's good. You're tuned in, you know, the more synchronicities you have, the better it's, um, uh, it's a, it's a kind of indicator of a kind of, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, it just, it, it's a, it's an indicator. The more synchronicities, the more precognitive dreams you notice, the more, you know, probably the better off you're going to be. Um, yeah, you know, because, there because seems you're, to be you're just being intuitive. I think being in, you know, yeah. intuition is the most, is the most basic, I think, expression of precognition. Yeah. I think intuition is, is entirely precognition. Well, I don't think it's, making drawing inferences from based on memory and, and creating an action plan based on inference, uh, the way a psychologist would explain it. I think it's, I really do think it's precognition. Well, and to, and to, and and to it, and to it, (laughs) and to, to observe it, you have to be in the moment. That's the other thing. So, I mean, you are, you know, the more you observe them, the more you are in the moment maybe as well, that's just a helpful thing as well. I mean, I think you're just being more aware as well around your, you know, what's going on around you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get a little deeper into your, your sort of theory about it's, it's more of a mechanistic theory about um, the neuroscience behind this as well. Right. Like, so you're saying that instead of it being like a one consciousness or this field uh, that we pick up, like that as our brain being a tuner that we pick up, what's going on from let's say the ether or whatever, that it's more of a, a neuro, I don't know if we, what would you say neurochemical or a neuro electrical process going on in your brain and you're picking up on a, on a future emotion or a future, um, future what, like how, and then I thought, I think I've heard you sort of describe it in more of a, you know, like a mechanical way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of taking a, like I said, a sort of a contrarian position on this because I mean, everyone nowadays is talking about non-local consciousness and, you know, consciousness fields and, and, uh, uh, you know, sort of the, the idea of, of mind or consciousness is transcending the body and so forth. And I don't know, I'm personally, I'm not that interested in consciousness. I feel like no one really knows what they mean by consciousness. It's got a million different meanings. It's, uh, it's basically a word for an insoluble problem in it's sort of, it's sort of this, this problem that's on the borderline of the discourses of science on the one hand, which deal in causes, physical causes. 
And the discourses of meaning, on the other hand, the humanities, philosophy, spirituality, spirituality, and it's like where they overlap, they don't really mesh and they don't match up and they don't, they, they don't sync up in any way. And so you have this, this perpetual conflict, uh, at this overlap. And so we put a slap a label on it. We call it consciousness. Um, and, uh, and, you know, no, 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 attempt to explain consciousness with any kind of physical theory, like even quantum mechanics is ever going to satisfy, you know, the spiritual, you know, side of us. I mean, that's just not, you know, no physical description of, of how the brain produces consciousness. If it produces consciousness is ever going to satisfy people, uh, is ever going to satisfy people who don't want to reduce things to material Physical well, I, I don't know about that. If it's if it's material that we don't know about yet because we can't measure it. I mean, what I think what you're saying, I don't think it takes anything spiritual away from the phenomena at all. No, it, it doesn't. But I'm saying that, you know, even if tomorrow, um, say, you know, Stuart Hameroff and Roger Penrose proved that their theory of, you know, the microtubules uh, and all microtubules that. that produce conscience that they, they proved that that was somehow the basis of conscience. I don't think it would satisfy. I, I, I think that, that philosophers, uh, and mystics would have, would, would just as uh, flat out reject it <laughs> because, you know, it just can't, you can't mesh that onto your personal experience of being alive and aware and all that it just doesn't, you know, you can't be you can't pin it down. Yeah. Yeah. can't pin it down that way. So I just, so I feel like there's no point in a way in trying to, to prove, you know, or trying to establish the physical basis of consciousness. So I feel like the consciousness is kind of a big MacGuffin, you know, it's kind of everything, everyone's chasing this, this problem of consciousness. I th- I think it's more interesting to look at these specific functions, which I do believe are very brain based. And I think yeah. precognition is one of them. And I think, uh, I think we are actually hot on the heels of an explanation of of how I say we, not me personally, but but I think researchers in various fields are really kind of converging on an understanding of the brain that's much, you know, that's that's going to go way deeper than what we can understand right now. I mean, with our current our current technology, we can look at levels of networks, we can look at interconnectivity of neurons. But that's a very that's a classical, you know, it's a it's incredibly complex, but it's something we can kind of wrap our heads around. But I think the I do agree with like people like Stuart Hameroff and so forth that the real action in the brain is going on inside neurons, and that that neurons themselves are going to turn out to probably be quantum computers. And so what you're going to have is a brain that's going to be characterized as you know 86 tri- billion quantum computers linked in, in a kind of massive internet, you know, the, 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 what, the, what we're looking at, what we're able to look at now with our imaging technology and so forth is basically that internet level. We're not looking at what's going on at those individual nodes where quantum computing is taking place. And, uh, among the, uh, Quantum computers are, you know, obviously really amazing, fascinating things that I don't think anybody really understands yet. But one of the things that that seems to characterize, uh, you know, a group of entangled particles in a quantum computer is the is 
you can manipulate information in in ways that are are you know spooky uh, uh, that in that that including potential transcendence. Yeah, I was going to say time time breaks yeah. down at that level. So I mean, free will could still be a part of the equation, but your neurons know because they're you know right so the, so the, yeah so the, so the point is you know and we don't know exactly how it works i think Stuart hammeroff is probably right i mean my i am i'm i'm guessing he is basically right that that the the really interesting action is going on in microtubules but i'm not i'm not particularly interested in in whether microtubules somehow uh, become coherent across the brain. I think all that's needed is for microtubules to be sensitive to themselves in the future, 500 milliseconds in the future, or an hour in the future, or a no, day it, may not, it may not matter. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so basically, the brain and individual parts of the brain are sensitive to what's going to happen uh, in their future. So the brain is just communicating with itself across time, and. And so an experience you have at, you know, 3 p.m., an emotionally, uh, some sort of emotional upheaval you have at 3 p.m. may, you know, cause a pre-sponse, you know, at at 2.45 p.m., you know, uh, that 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 orients the orients you toward it. Um, And I think that this is a probably a very basic primitive function. Um, I, 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 I would kind of bet that it's, it's underlies the sort of the, the primitive consciousness of, of single celled organisms and maybe even, uh, it could even have been the first sense to have evolved, um, uh, sort of a time sense or what I call a time eye on one of my blog posts. Um, that, that, that basically is just a, a right answer detector, you know, it just makes, makes the right, makes an optimal choice, just an iota more likely. Yeah. And then in an evolutionary well, it framework, even could explain instinct then that would explain instinct. Sure. And, and, and it would simply, I think, be that kind of added element that I think a lot of people are looking for to explain the arising of life in, in the universe, because, you know, somehow, you know, complex systems, you know, thermodynamic universe, just, you know, maybe it's a failure of our imagination or, or my imagination at least, but, you know, but I agree with a lot of smart people out there like Rupert Sheldrake and so forth, you know, this doesn't quite, it just doesn't, it doesn't hang together. It doesn't, can't, can't ex- quite explain, you know, this, this, you know, the arising of life and the way life is somehow able to orient toward, toward the good or <laughs> toward its optimal, you know, or toward optimal states. And, uh, and some very smart people have proposed that, that it's precisely this quantum, uh, process called post selection, uh, which is a, a feature of, the the really cool retro causation experiments that are being done lately that basically life is post selecting on optimal outcomes and that 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 explains the potentially the arising of life and it and it sort of explains how life just sort of tends that 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 little that little kind of thing that that gives life its edge 
uh, and that makes life kind of prevail. Life will find a way. I keep, you know, that, that phrase from Jurassic Park, it kind of always goes through my head, but I, I really think it's kind of a, a very primitive, you know, yeah, precognition at that level is kind of the wrong word because we're not even talking about cognition, but we're talking about responsiveness to rewards in the future. And the most basic reward is, of course, survival. So, you know, you have a, a single-celled organism that's where it's, you know, microtubules are, you know, responding to to decisions it's going to make in its future. And like a turn to the right means it's going to get a post-selected, it's, it's going to be measured again, that the, the particles in that micro, microtubule will be measured again versus turn, turn to the left, they won't be uh, because the organism has died. So you'll have a tendency to make the right decision and to turn to the right direction and orient itself uh, in the right way. But it's, you know, it's going to be a very weak, uh, slight tendency probably, but um Anyway, that's that's the idea. No, it's really interesting. So I was thinking when you were talking about that, I was thinking before you mentioned his name, like, wouldn't that still fit in or couldn't it still fit in with morphic resonance? Like, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, this this sort of precog of some event through time isn't it may not fit with that because i don't know if rupert actually uh actually you know can actually explain physically what's going on i mean maybe it's still compatible but then as i'm as i'm thinking about that i look down the bookshelf and i look right at morphic residence which is in the middle of our shelf and then you mm -hmm. mentioned you mentioned uh rupert sheldrake right after that so that's You're my own little, that's my own little i have that recognition <laughs> you probably yeah. do yeah no uh well i right i, I think the problem with mor with with morphic resonance is it kind of is one of these. I'm sorry to say, you know, I, I like Rupert Sheldrake's work, but I I feel it's very hand wavy. You know, it's like he's imagining this morphic fields. I'm really I'm really opposed to the idea of fields. <laughs> you may have you may be able to tell from reading my blog post, but it's like I feel like that's kind of a mental special effect. We're kind of imagining somehow fields and it helps us imagine how forms in nature imprint on 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 other forms and so, somehow but it's just like there's no there's no model for how that works i i think what i'm proposing even though it's it's got its hand wavy elements i mean we don't know how it works exactly in in cells i mean where i'm i'm sort of offering a speculation but i think that this mechanism of informational time travel from the future, you know, the future influencing the past or the future influencing the present, um, offers a way to explain these phenomena like, like the, you know, the, the, or the, the, the tendency for organisms to find their optimal form and the for tendency for organisms to do what they need to do to survive and so forth. Uh, it, it sort of, it offers, I think, uh, a more realistic, less slightly less hand wavy kind of mechanism for that um because yeah i think that rupert sheldrake's you know, the morphic fields that feels very much like a platonic you know ideal form somehow magically coming down and and manipulating reality but that i don't see that that just doesn't seem very realistic to me so i mean i think the the again sort of like like when we're talking about synchronicity the, the effect is the same but <clears throat> what i'm proposing is that this uh, sort of a mechanism for how it might work does uh, do you notice any correlation with emotion yes totally um the uh well 
in, in, in the model I'm proposing, precognition is basically just memory, but in reverse. It's memory for the future. And as we know, memory is facilitated by strong emotion. It's subject to distortion. So it's like this idea that you're going to precognize things perfectly or that the or whatever. That's just totally wrong. I mean, your precognition is going to be the same, just just as sort of subject to the vagaries of distortion and 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 sort of symbolic stuff that that your memory for the past is. Um, the main difference between precognition and memory, as we ordinarily understand it, is that with memory, we, we have a degree of ability to, to do what's called source monitoring. In psychology, um, uh, source monitoring is the ability to know how you know something. So, you know, I know, you know, uh, the, uh, what, the, the Normans invaded England in 1066 because I kind of have a memory of sitting in a classroom uh, and hearing the, the lecturer, you know, write that on a chalkboard. I have a, like, I have a visit, I have sort of a memory of how I know that information. Uh, it may be wrong. And in fact, we know that those, you know, our, our sort of autobiographical memory is subject to constant morphing over time. And, you know, what I imagine, the way I imagine learning that may be totally wrong <laughs> compared to if I, if I can't have a, you know, God's, you know, video recorder, you know, if you play that back, it might be totally different. But, uh, but still, we have a sense of how we know information in our past, which does not apply to information from our future. And this is one of the reasons people ignore it. People miss it, they ignore it, they misinterpret it. Because, you know, you have a vision, a suddenly flash of a vision of, of you know, uh, a plane crash or something. Most people, it's not ever going to cross their minds that, oh, I'm having a preview of a very striking, emotionally striking uh, news story that I'm going to see the next day on the news. They're instead going to imagine, oh, that I was, they're just going to interpret it in some different way. You know, it's like, oh, that was just, you know, I was just imagining things or whatever, and they'll forget about it. Or... Um, or, or whatever, they'll, they'll, they're not going to uh, have any way to place that information. Uh, the metaphor I sometimes use is that it's like a, a like you get a letter with no return address. Um, you, you don't know who it came from, and you're going to just sort of assume it's junk mail and you throw it out. Um, and I think that's what a lot of precognitive information is like, at least on a conscious level. Uh, we don't really know what to do with it. We don't recognize it when we see it. We interpret it in all kinds of different ways, um, and uh, you know. It, so it's 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 oper it's it's influencing us if it does influence us on an unconscious level, but not really consciously. That's interesting because I've heard the same thing for ghosts. You know, for for a ghost to be around, there's got to be a certain level of emotion involved to leave some sort of an imprint on, on the fabric or whatever. Well, I've got you know I'm. I'm not, this is sort of the next sort of phase in in my work. Uh, uh, I'm sort of starting to turn my attention. I'm trying to finish a book right now that kind of sort of summarizes the work I've been doing over the last few years on my blog, but I'm kind of, uh, in my last few posts, I've kind of started uh, looking at these other paranormal phenomena to see how much this model can apply to those two, including things like hauntings, um, uh, also things like past life stuff, reincarnation. And I think that, that there's a lot of potential for this idea of, of memory for our future 
learning experiences as being a real operative, potentially interesting explanation for things for some, not all maybe, but, but some things like hauntings, uh, for instance, uh, you know, sort of the idea would be, um, if, if tomorrow, uh, you're going to read about like some, like, like a tragic death that occurred, that occurred at a spot that, that you're standing, like, say you're walking down a dark alley in a strange city or whatever. And you, you, and the next day, somehow you're going to encounter a, a story about a tragedy that occurred right in that spot. You're, you might be, if, particularly if you're kind of liable to, to, if you're very imaginative, if you're the kind of person who's liable to have a sort of hallucination, you might have a, a, a precognitive hallucination of that story that you're going to read the next day and you're going to interpret it as a ghost. And this is another thing um, that's, ah. I think, that I think is uh, the, the, another way in which precognition is like memory is that it's very strongly triggered by place. Um, the hippocampus, which is sort of, I mean, you can sort of describe it as the brain's librarian. Um, it, it also contains our, it, it sort of controls our memory. It's sort of the, 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 the archivist of our, of our long-term memory. Um, it also contains our maps of space. And, you know, this is why there's this close connection between space and memory. Uh, for instance, the ancient art of memory, uh, the, the classical orators would, would create memory images and they would plant them in imaginary, uh, spaces like memory palaces, for instance. And, you know, if you're, you know, you just space is a memory trigger. I mean, you're, when you're, you know, walking down the street, you just, you, you remember things associated with a certain place. I know how uh, to do that. I read, yeah, I read no, a book on it and I can, I can do it. You could like picture a place from your childhood you you recognize and you can like walk through the house and place things in certain spots. It's, it works fantastically it's well. Amazing. I'm doing yeah. college. I, and I, I don't, I, I wish more people knew about it. I've written about it and, and there are lots of good books on it and it's an amazing, amazing tool. Um, so you're absolutely right. And it's, uh, but you, you know, then how powerful that place thing is. I mean, it's a really powerful trigger for memory. Well, I feel like this could, this could potentially explain some like hauntings and there are some good, like time slip experiences, um, in the literature. And I wrote about one of them on my blog. Um, a, this is, this happened, I don't know. I think it was, uh, I feel like it was in the fifties maybe. Uh, and this was in Scotland and a woman was walking home at night and, she, she was, yeah, she was walking home from a cocktail party where she wasn't really drunk or anything like that. She'd had like one drink, but she, she saw this battle. She saw these, these soldiers, um, or it was like the aftermath of a, of a battle. And they were, they were, you know, ancient, you know, warriors, uh, on this field, uh, near her village. And, and it was, you know, it was the damnedest thing, this vision of these, these warriors, and they were taking a certain path, you know, through this field that was kind of unusual. Um, and, uh, they were, you know, carrying torches and stuff like that. 
And she, now she knew, and everybody knew uh, in her village knew that this was the historical probable site of a very famous battle from like the sixth century called the Battle of Nectonsmere, uh, where the Picts uh, in Scotland fought off the, um, I guess, the, the Northumbrian army. And uh, anyway, so she thought she had seen, you know, a, a basically like a time slip, you know, the, 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 she saw all these warriors there. Um, well, a, a researcher from the Society for Psychical Research, you know, interviewed her and, um, and you know, he basically s- agreed with her conclusion. But, but if you look at the details of the case, she subsequently read up on the Battle of Nectonsmere and the archaeology associated with it and learned, you know, for instance, that, you know, the shape of the original lake Nectonsmere was the name of a sort of lake that had been there in the past but wasn't no it was no longer existing in the landscape and the, the the path the strange path that she had seen the soldiers take would have taken them around the edge of this lake that no longer existed so it like it matched this thing that she read in a journal article subsequent to her experience now now here's the here's the crucial here's the crucial detail subsequently to that uh archaeologists figured out that oh this village was not the site of the battle of nectonsmere it took place in this other place you know miles away so she couldn't have actually seen the battle of nectonsmere she was i suggest i mean i can't prove this obviously but i would suggest she was she was having a kind of premonition or a precognition uh precognitive hallucination perhaps facilitated by having a few drinks or whatever uh, of, of this journal article about the battle of Nectonsmere. So, and this is this idea that we are potentially precognizing reading experiences in our future. Actually, I mean, the the idea really comes uh, from the pioneer of precognitive dream research in the 1920s, uh, J.W. Dunn, he wrote this, he was an aeronautical engineer, uh, a fly fisherman, a soldier in the Boer War, um, and he noticed as a young man, he started having dreams that corresponded to things happening subsequent in his life. And he was a very, you know, he was a very rationalistic, kind of skeptical kind of science-minded guy. And so he didn't he didn't accept the sort of existing explanations that were flying around at the time, uh, like telepathy and the sort of the theosoph- theosophical ideas like astral travel and stuff like that. He didn't accept this. And so he really started he started keeping records of his dreams and correlating them to subsequent events. And he discovered that, you know, he would have dreams about events in the news, for instance, but he, in, in some cases, was able to determine that he wasn't precognizing the actual event out in space-time. You know, he, w- he was precognizing the news story. Uh, whenever there was a discrepancy of some kind between the news story or the way he found out about a piece of information and the actual event, it enabled, it was like a tracer that enabled him to determine that his precognition was of 
the experience of the learning experience of reading about about this event, not the event itself. Like the most famous example was a, a dream he had about a, a volcano eruption. Um, and specifically, uh, in the second part of his dream, he was trying to alert the authorities. It was on a French Island somehow. He was trying to alert the authorities that 4,000 people were about to die in this, in this volcano eruption. And the number 4,000 kept coming up. Well, a few days later, he gets the newspaper and reads the story about the explosion of Mount Montpellier in, on the island of Martinique and killed 40,000 people. Um, well, it's uh, ultimate, ultimately, it turned out that the actual death toll was like 30,000 or 36,000 like that. So it didn't have anything to do with four or 40 or, or anything like that. So he, he knew that what he was precognizing was the newspaper article. He wasn't precognizing the actual event. And... Um, and I've found this again and again, uh, going back through the literature of precognition, that people precognize uh, reading experiences all the time. And I think this is a, a really uh, a sort of it's something that people haven't really they, they, they've noted, you know, they've they've credited done with this observation, but no one's really pushed it to sort of see if it can explain uh, other phenomena. So that was a long way of answering your question about hauntings and ghosts. No, 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 but, but you've got some great examples of sci-fi writers and stuff too, which, uh, which I don't know if there's something to do with the type of information that's there and a lot, but I mean, it's, it's really new, new stuff that I've never heard about that, you know, stuff that, uh, people are writing about and then it, it happens later on. Yeah. Uh, Right. The, well, Phil Dick obviously is the is the is the famous example of a precognitive writer, um, and only because there it it's become almost a game for his biographers to kind of find new examples of precognition in his writing. I mean, there's right. a lot, so many people have written about that, and it's great. I mean, it's like a. Uh, Anthony Peake has a wonderful book called The Life of Philip K. Dick. He really he cal he he, he compiles a million examples of amazing. Uh, precognitive experiences and, and examples where his works are precognizing, you know, subsequent things that, that, that Phil Dick was reading. And, but Phil Dick himself was observing this. Um, if you read his exegesis, which is his massive journal uh, that he wrote during the 70s uh, and up until his death, uh, sort of all trying to come to grips with the mystical experience he, he had in 1974, I mean, he's he's so many examples there of of precognizing uh, what he thought. You know, he really thought that he was precognizing like journal articles. He would he had this way of. I mean, he was really interested in sort of pop science stuff, and so he would precognize you know the the latest kind of pop science obsession uh, that you know, and things you would read in Newsweek or Time Magazine or whatever, like. Uh, split brain research, you know, he was like, he was working and he was, he was, he was all ready to submit, um, his novel scanner darkly. And it, 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 one of the themes of the book is that the main character, Bob Arthur, his brain hemispheres have become, have come detached because of his abuse of substance D this drug. And, 
and he's ready to submit this manuscript and suddenly he comes upon this this journal article that describes split brain research and he'd never heard of this stuff before <laughs> and he go and he, so he had to write a letter to his his publisher saying okay wh- i need to i need i need a couple more months here because i have to i have to do all this research on split brain research because i thought this was my idea and it turns out that you know that but but that this was happening again and again and again and uh and i've um I've got some really good examples of this that I'm I'm going to put in the book that I'm working on right now. Yeah, we'll um, save some of those. Yeah. Brand new, but you know, it's it's just you can find endless examples. But he's not; he's by no means the first. Um, no, there's uh, some stuff on your blog that you had, which is really interesting because it's not so much sci-fi as as real mysteries that are coming to light, right? Like the face on Mars, for example, and people had had uh, sure. yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Well, that right. I had a post on 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 that. Like you have two major American artists, uh, in one case, a Japanese American artist uh, who really uncannily precognized the sort of face on Mars, which was discovered by the Viking orbiters in 1976. Um, one of them being Jack Kirby, the, the comics um artist uh who in the early 60s i believe um uh sort of he wrote a story called the face on mars and it was um uh you know about these astronauts who discover this giant stone face on mars and and one of them has this vision of this interplanetary war that destroyed the planet uh and and the sculptor Isamu Noguchi, the American Japanese sculptor, uh, he created a he, he envisioned an earthwork that would that would be built in the desert somewhere on Earth to be viewed from Mars, and it's this face, and he photographed it, and the face looks just I mean uncannily like the photographs of the face on Mars that were taken, the the original photographs, the low resolution photographs that were taken of the face on Mars in 1976. Um, And the thing is that this was to be a sort of a monument uh, to, to memorialize humanity in the aftermath of nuclear war. And part of the, the, so, so what they were precognizing, if it was precognition, I mean, I can't prove obviously that this was precognition, but it just, it, what's uncanny is they weren't just precognizing a face on Mars. They were precognizing this whole meme that surrounds the face on Mars, the idea of an ancient civilization destroyed in nuclear war. In, in the Noguchi's case, the, the, the roles were flipped. The idea was the face would be viewed from Mars, but it would be about Earth's destruction of nuclear war. But, but, but the point is, you know, it's just sort of uncanny this, this, that both of these artists uh, hit, you know, ha- had this same idea. Um, now, you know, you, you could say it's in the zeitgeist, whatever. I, you know, where I'm sort of going with this is that I think the zeitgeist is really, in a lot of ways, this kind of precognitive process, that we're all sort of swimming in this precognitive soup. And that artists particularly are very tuned to it. And they're, 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 they're precognizing each other. They're precognizing kind of powerful memes that they will encounter uh, in their future. Uh, and they're sort of, sort of scooping each other that way. Uh, the, there's a famous theory of literary influence uh, by the literary critic Harold Bloom uh, called the anxiety of influence, and the idea is that that we're all that artists are really anxious of 
of they want to be the first. They want to be, the, you know, they, they, it's, you don't want to be the second to have an idea. You, you need to be the first to have an idea. And, and we're particularly threatened by artists that came before us, you know, because, well, they had the good ideas first. And so we're kind of jealous and we kind of distort them and everything like that. Like, like inventors kind of. Right, exactly. And I'm, I'm kind of proposing that, that there's this opposite. There's this, this other literally precognitive thing going on where artists are like literally trying to scoop each other, uh, precognitively. Um, and that, that, so, so ideas in a sense come from the future, like pre artists precognize their own books that they will, that they will write. I think that, uh, uh, Phil Dick was actually describing this in some of his journal entries. I mean, he was having these pre these hypnagogic visions, um, of, of manuscripts and galley proofs and, uh, and stuff. I think he was like literally precognizing what he was going to write in the future. Um, as well as precognizing other people's books. And I've got, you know, I, I've written about this on my blog too. But, wow. So are people that can actually tune that, do you think that's any way to explore, explain like, uh, psychics or anything like that? Claire oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. What? Clairvoyance. What did you say? Yeah, he's just oh, talking about yeah. you know, psychic and clair clairvoyance or clair clair of many, whatever that is, clair audience, clair whatever. Clairvoyance. Yeah, I mean, well, the the current accepted term for clairvoyance is remote viewing. I mean, that, that's kind of a more uh, less psychic-y sounding term, but um, uh, yeah, I I. I think that that remote viewing, uh, I think very likely it's it's really precognizing uh, information that the remote viewer will gain in the future. Now, this is a very I'm going to people are, are going to turn off your program when they hear me say that because it's a it's a very controversial idea. And I've talked to I've talked to remote viewers about this. And I you know, it's like I, I'm not a, a professional remote viewer by any means. So it's like I. I you know, I don't, I, I want to tread lightly on their experience. Um, but, uh, certainly some cases, including some famous cases of remote viewing, um, show evidence, uh, that the remote viewer was actually precognizing their feedback that they were going to get later and not the site, you know, the, 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 the target, uh, in real time. Um, and I'm going to write, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've written a little bit about this, um, but it's a controversial idea. And I know some remote viewers will like totally balk at that. And, and I don't blame them because, uh, you know, if you, if you've spent your life doing this and you have a certain experience of what you're doing, you know, it's like, I can't uh, tell them that's not right. And I certainly haven't, I'm not an expert at the entire literature on remote viewing, yeah, but yeah. there are cases that fit this precognitive model. And Ed May, who was head of the Stargate program, um, he was head of the SRI, uh, the Stargate program during the sort of eighties and early nineties, the last decade. Uh, he, he's, he basically made the same argument that, that remote viewing is basically precognition. So I wonder, I wonder if the rate of synchronicity would increase the closer you got to an event horizon. <laughs> you mean of a black hole event yeah, horizon? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't. That's a. I don't know. That's a. 
As time compresses. Uh, I'm going to take a second here and jump into, we had a couple uh, listener questions sent in from a friend of the show, James Cruz. Oh, cool. Uh, He's got one here. Does the notion of how archetypes show up as coincidences, precognitions, or as synchronicities include the precept that we are creating our perceptions of these archetypes and our realities by projecting them into our day-to-day lives due to the reinforcing formative nature of these time loops? Um, well, I think we are, I I don't know exactly if I'm getting the question correct, but I, I, I am not a believer in archetypes. I think, um, archetypes, I think are an effect of precognition. They sort of, they're an illusion that arises when we are precognitive creatures who who orient toward rewards in our future and are not aware of that fact. And the fact is, nobody believes in precognition, and 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 nobody even imagines that we're precognitive. And very, you know, very few people who imagine that we're precognitive believe that we're precognitive. Um, so we're going to interpret these things as in all kinds of other ways. Now, archetypes have been pretty um, successfully debunked, actually, by uh, by historians of psychiatry and historians of Jung's movement. Um, this is a very interesting story and it's actually only something I've really delved into in the last year or so, but it's really, uh, really interesting that, that at the time Jung was working the early first few decades of the last century, um, the, the European culture, we don't realize this in America, but Euro- European culture, uh, particularly the German speaking culture was saturated with with like ancient mythology um eastern religion egyptian religion i mean this was fascinating to people uh everyone everyone was delving into the pagan like roots of european culture and germanic culture and uh, and, and, you know, Egypt was on, you know, everybody was like just gaga about ancient mythology. So it wasn't just Jung. And at this time, the Theosophical Publishing House actually was publishing all this stuff. And guess who was the audience for these books? Well, it was precisely the people Jung was seeing in his clinic and, and Jung himself. And, uh, some of the like actual, some of the smoking gun evidence that Jung always cited for the collective unconscious turns out to be stuff that he had read uh, that was on his bookshelf and stuff that his patients were reading. Um, and, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of tell when someone like when a great thinker is sort of defensive of their core idea, when they're like always, you know, making these assurances that, well, you know, the, 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 the obvious counter argument, you know, can't really be true. Well, he was doing this constantly in all of his case studies. He promises that his page, this patient had not, didn't know the, the, the symbolic meaning of, of X, Y, and Z, you know, whatever, uh, ancient, mythological motif showed up in their dream you know this patient couldn't didn't couldn't possibly know that 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 archetype or that myth but in fact these these patients were reading this stuff he was reading this stuff um 
so historians have really kind of been able to show that this is the whole idea of a collective unconscious and archetypes is this, uh, it's really basically this projection of basically Jung's bookshelf <laughs> onto the cosmos. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and a lot of it, you know, they were producing this stuff in there. You know, it's like, it's a truism in any kind of therapy that the, the, the patient will produce, um, magically they'll produce dreams and fantasies and blah, 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 that match the theoretical orientation of the doctor. So for instance, Freud's patients all magically produced these Oedipus fantasies and, and all this, this stuff about infantile sexuality and seduction and, and phallic symbols and all that stuff that you associate with Freudian psychoanalysis. Well, Jung's patients were likewise producing ancient myths, just like obediently they would come in the, into the, into the, office they would produce some dream that was about you know that had you know uh some ancient egyptian you know symbolism and jung would would go aha and he you know yes this proves you know the collective unconscious but it's the the, the therapy clinic is a is a sort of uh it's an echo chamber and and uh it's very easy for for uh you know particularly for brilliant ambitious thinkers like jung uh, to sort of be sort of self-deceived about the material that's emerging. And if it seems to confirm their pet theory, you know, they'll, they'll run with it. And it's, you know, it's been a very inspiring theory for a lot of people. And really people love the idea of a collective unconscious and archetypes and all that. But, um, there's really, there's really not much, support for that idea. And at the same time, I, I'm, I'm also a little bit biased against Jung because I come from an anthropology background. And, uh, you know, at the time that Jung was working, anthropologists and linguists, you know, they were already able to explain the sort of commonalities in sort of culture and symbolism that occur around the world. I mean, you don't need to invoke a collective unconscious or archetypes to explain these things. I mean, you know, for humans are humans, we're all biologically the same. So we all go through the same basic life experiences and sort of feel the same basic, you know, dilemmas and traumas, you know, around, you know, aging and birth and death and, and, uh, and whatnot. And so, you know, so yes, these, these same motifs are going to show up again and again and again across cultures, but, but there's really, there's no real evidence for anything like a collective unconscious or for archetypes. And so I think that, but yes, when you have these synchronicities, uh, I think that the, a lot of what was happening in Jung's clinic was that the patients were precognizing what he was going to, you know, precognizing some exciting uh, situation in the clinic. And uh, the, the, the most famous example of synchronicity, of course, I write about this on my blog, uh, you know, is the woman who dreamed about a man or someone handing her a, a piece of scarab jewelry. And the next day, you know, she's telling this dream and this scarab beetle uh, shows up at the window and he opens the window and hands her this beetle. And it's like, goes, here's your scarab. Well, she was no one real. And, and of course, he then explained, explained this as synchronicity, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, I mean, she was she had a precognitive dream about that event that happened in his in his consulting room. Uh, and, and, and probably the dream was as much about his subsequent 
launching into a discourse about the meaning of the scarab in Egyptian religion. And it was probably a really meaningful moment for this woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a turning point for her. And so it was precisely the kind of thing that precognitive unconscious homes in on. And, uh, uh, so, so that's, I, I think that's the source of this idea of archetypes. I mean, in, in her case, you know, and because it was Jung, Jung was obsessed with ancient myths. And, and, and in fact, he himself had had a vision of a scarab a few years before. So he was totally thrilled when she comes up with this dream and he, you know, launches into this great explanation about scarabs. And for her, it was just like this, this mind blowing moment, of course. I mean, and, and here you have Dr. the great Dr. Jung, you know, incredibly excited about your little dream and, and telling you it's grand meaning in the cosmos. Um, so, you know, I think that is the ultimate source of the of the idea of archetypes. Um, but I, I think that that precognition is at the root of them. I think that that probably the most powerful learning experiences we have are probably the ones that we oriented towards unconsciously and precognitively because suddenly they manifest in our lives and, and we're blown away. It's like it's like we've arrived somewhere where we were intended to be, you know, and, and the world is kind of addressing us like, you know, we're special. And that's what a, a synchronicity feels like. You know, even a little tiny synchronicity, you know, feels that way. But when a big synchronicity happens, especially it's like, holy shit, you know, the, 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 uh, the world is, um, uh, is, you know, it's, it's arranging itself around me and, and, and wants to teach me something. That's how it feels. So, um, so I think that, that probably precognition is at the basis of, of, of these ideas like, like the collective unconscious and, 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 um, archetypes. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Well said. Yeah. I have I, one I, more question. Oh, from yeah. James. Okay. Cause I was going to build on that question a bit about time loops and stuff, but go ahead with that. You can save your building. You keep yeah. building over there. Uh, his second question is just your thoughts on the, uh, the uh, holographic or simulated universe theory and how that would fit in with the, the, uh, the model. Hmm. Yeah. I've thought about this and I've got friends, you know, the same way I've got friends, in fact, some of the same friends who are really into the multiverse theory and the many worlds theory. They're the same ones that like, they're like, they think the, the, the simulation simulated universe theory is, is cool. I mean, it, it is, cool in some ways, but I, I find that super depressing. Honestly, the, the, the thought that we're living in a simulation, just that's, that really, I find deflating and I just can't, I just really can't get with it. Huh. And, and, but, you know, part of it's personal preference and you know, I just don't, don't want to live in a simulation. So I'm, I'm biased, but I have to say, I think that there's also this, this tendency for people to, create a theory of, of the universe that sort of matches the most exciting technology of their time. So, you know, back in the late middle ages, the universe was a clock and it's like, Oh my God, that's the most exciting idea in the world that the universe could be a clock. Um, and then, you know, and then of course the universe was a computer, you know, a couple decades ago. Well now the universe is a simulation. Well, it's like, I kind of feel like this is just kind of a passing Fad because our most exciting, um, mind-blowing technologies right now are simulations, and and so it's very exciting for people to come to theorize about how the universe might be a simulation. 
Um, you know, I suppose it's possible. And, and it certainly, you know, if, if the universe is a simulation, then my whole idea about archetypes and stuff is wrong because that's, <laughs> then, then it very well could, the universe very well could be programmed, you know, to have these, you know, basic meanings sort of pre-made, uh, in the fabric of, of, of space time, you know, it's like, like a character type kind of, yeah, yeah. Archetypes could, could be real, but I just, I, I honestly, it just doesn't convince me at all but the, but the simulation theory i mean then if, if you do think about it then who made the simulation right i mean to me it's not as depressing as like somebody maybe we could bust out of the simulation exactly <laughs> the yeah. key word right there you have it <laughs> <laughs> so your new book is, is going to be going a little further on this into more of the other paranormal stuff do you have i mean there's a um, ton of questions around well, that no, but... my, my... Well, the book I'm trying to finish up right now is basically kind of, it's kind of right. a version yeah. of a lot up till now, but with more footnotes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, lot, yeah. a lot more data, a lot more kind of supporting, you know, it's like I kind of, because it's a blog, it's easy to kind of just kind of gloss the, the evidence. I give a lot more evidence and I give a, I go a lot into very into depth on a lot of case studies. In fact, I go into great depth on on some pretty interesting occurrences in Freud's clinic and Jung's clinic. Wow. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's some pretty, pretty cool, cool stuff that I'm trying to put in there. Uh, it's just, I'm, I'm, I have no time cause I have a 14 month old and, and I'm, I have a, a day job that I like. So it's like I'm trying to eke out a few hours every weekend to work. It's kind of, so it's, it's, it's a long process. So we'll see when it gets done. But, um, that's the idea. But then, but, but I am starting to, to delve into other paranormal phenomena. You know, I, I started out actually, I, my original, uh, when I was, well, I guess my blog originally, I started over 10 years ago now, but I was writing mostly about science fiction, but then I, I really got into UFOs. I was like really, you know, writing about ufology for a while. Yeah. And it was actually ufology that kind of, kind of deflected me into the psychic stuff. It was, you know, Jacques Vallée's, work that really inspired me and I realized, oh, you know, we need to figure out this consciousness thing before we can figure out what UFOs are and figure out what, you know, what what's going on with with um, you know, precognitive and other potential psychic phenomena, ESP phenomena. So that's kind of what got me into this in the first place. So I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of going to circle back eventually and sort of, you know, maybe approach the uh, the UFO question, the you know, haunting, you know, things like ghosts and hauntings and all that. See what what I can bring that's maybe a little bit new to that those problems by thinking in terms of precognition. I don't know. That's that's kind of where I see myself kind of going, but um, we'll see. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to circle back around to the UFOs. I saw a bunch of people commenting on your website about the ETH, like the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, well, you know, I think like most people who, who get into this stuff, that's your first stop, right? I mean, it's like, well, oh, wow, this means aliens. Uh, and so, yeah, I know I have some old posts on the blog where I'm, 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 you know, arguing for the ETH and it's like, well, like, <laughs> and then like later, I was like, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe I spoke a little too soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm not committed to that at all. Although I, I, I think people have been too, I do think people have too readily sort of thrown out that idea and, and, uh, 
I, I, I feel like it should be kept on the table. Um, some version of it, you know, it's like certainly, you know, uh, aliens are not flying here in their spaceships. I mean, that's ridiculous, but, but alien drones, uh, that's that, you know, a self-replicating alien drones, uh, originating in some ancient, you know, civilization that may itself be long dead. That's a perfectly reasonable idea. And I think, uh, there's no reason not to keep that idea on the table. I could. I think you could keep the the ET coming from spacecraft on the table too. Who knows? We're finding all kinds of planets out there. You never know. It might not yeah. be that harder. To, you know, harder to think to travel uh, faster than light. So, I mean, I'm not. I'm not all for that hypothesis either. But I like to keep them all on the table. Really, it's a pretty sure. complex subject. Sure. No, you're absolutely right. And if you need a test subject for your ESP stuff, you can use Graham. You can shock him. <laughs> you can shock him and shit if you need to. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a test subject to come to my lab, and uh, I keep, I'll keep you in a, like a box, you know, and and uh, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable for you. Measure my precog response to electrical shocks. <laughs> Sensory deprivation and stuff, but yeah, and then some some electric shocks when you when you don't precognize accurately. But by the end of it, by the end of it, I guarantee you're going to be uh, really a Superman, the synchronicity master. Eh? No problem, no problem. Where yeah. do I sign? Right on. Well, thanks for your for your time here tonight, Eric. Where did where can our? Uh, I know you're on Twitter. I forget your handle off the top of my head, but where can our listeners track you down? Yeah, it's just the nightshirt.com. It's all one word. Um, don't ask me to explain the reasoning for that name, but there is a reason. Uh, and same on Twitter. It's the nightshirt. Well, and I don't think people should wait for your book either. Like you've got a t- hours and hours and hours of, of great blogs. On, yeah. And the book is not, like, and the book is not just going to be a rehash. Of, I mean, the book is not, it's, it's all brand new stuff. I'm yeah. not saying it's, it's, but it's the, on the yeah. same sort of themes. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Cause it's just, you got so it's much like good content out there already. Out like, the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. We'll, we'll link to all that in the show notes too, for sure. Graham, we'll get all that in there. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, this has been really a lot of fun. Right on. Yeah. Well, keep in touch. And when you do, when you do get the book out, if you do or whatever, I'll, you know, come back on and we'll, we'll continue. Absolutely. That'd be fun. All right. We'll shock Graham. Okay. All right, yeah. I'm looking forward to that, especially. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Eric. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was a chat with Dr. Eric Wargo. That was fun. That was a fun one. I'd like to think that our, our audience is open-minded enough to just to, just to try and oh, yeah. like our friends, said, meditate on that. Meditate on that. You our know? Audience, we have the best audience. You know, I have no problem with this. I have a hard time with thinking that there's no like collective unconscious or no Punch like ether the and all right that now. in there. And, why? Hard, hard as you can right in the nose. Break your nose. Why? See if free will lets you. Yeah. Well, I didn't. Free will it. Free will it. <laughs> Free will yourself in the note. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. I like the idea. It's interesting because when, when, when he talked about the, like, let's say the young example with the scarab, maybe that was precog. Like, who knows which way it goes, right? You don't really have, we don't have enough proof either way. No, we you don't. The, I like the the idea of it is that both are fucking, both are neither mundane. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're both. Yeah. Pretty groundbreaking. I mean, his comes across a little more mechanistic, but I still think it's pretty out there. Yeah, I'll take it you know? for sure. It's just, it's a good explanation as I've heard. 
for sure. Yeah. We should ask them about a ripple stick. Well, that is. I a know. I meant stick. to. That I meant to. Stick. That's exactly a ripple stick. The ripple before the stick is precognition. The water's precognitive. Is that what that's? It's been so long since we talked about that. Is that what the ripple explain stick? Explain that again. So the water's coming down. The ripple stick is stick the ripple sticking out of the water. The cre- before the stick in the water. Isn't that just caused from the water hitting the stick? Goes backwards up upstream. Yeah, it's like a wake from a boat, right? It was upstream. Except the boat's moving and the stick's steady, staying, right? Yeah. Huh. Sure That's why we a, called it a ripple stick. Yeah, I'm sure there's a ripple logical explanation. Stick, which is exactly precognition. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure there's a logical explanation for the stick. But it's just a fun analogy? That's right. Oh. We fucking coined it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think we coined it. We heard it someplace. It was else. one of our guests, I think, but that it, brought it up we, way back, we, like in the first it was thirty a episodes. Thing we talked about for like thirty or forty episodes. No, not that many. Ugh. This is what I deal with. <laughs> anyways, we should we could have got a little Check bit out. more into him with UFOs and stuff, but anyways. Well, he had said yeah. it was late. Yeah, it was late. You know, for we're him, already but, pushing. Yeah. But yeah, that's really interesting, man. I was reading some of his blogs, and yeah, the whole face on Mars thing is pretty cool. People are like, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was creating that before it came up. Like, why a face? You know, it could be pyramid on Mars. It was another or... one of those interesting ones where I went to track him down on Twitter, and yeah. he was following it. We were following each other. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I think when we we're gonna have that synch, we we're gonna have a couple guys on about synchronicity a couple of years back. I think that's when we were initially were looking. Doctor Kirby, or yes, yeah. Kirby Surprise was the other dude. That's it. Kirby. That's that's the Kirby Surprise. Just sounds dirty. <laughs> <laughs> You don't put the in front of it. <laughs> Check out, uh, it's remember. probably doctor, not the. <laughs> or mister. <laughs> when they're this big, they call you mister. Mr. Kirby Surprise. Dr. Kirby. Dr. Surprise. Sounds like a villain. Anyway, check out goodmarker.ca slash support, guys. Uh, sign up for a monthly if there can help us keep having these long, uninterrupted, commercial-free, paywall-free chats. We do give it all to you guys for free. All we ask is that you throw a couple bucks our way, if you can, when you can. There's a bunch of different monthlies there. Yeah, it helps pay the bills, man. That's right. We didn't plan on this being such an investment. Bills, buy broken, fix broken cables, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Need more cables, actually. Yeah, send Graham to Red Pill Expo. Oh, well, that'll be coming out of my pocket, buddy. Well, yeah, of course it will be. <laughs> but maybe one day I won't have to. <laughs> and then we could do more things like that. Yeah, that would be cool. then you could fly that there. Would... Like, that's the thing. It's just, it's like, fucking boom. Have a nine-hour drive? If you have a little budget, like, oh, yeah, I'll just days? get a flight. Yeah. Ding, ding. Oh, imagine that. Jeez. Nine hours each way. I'd just settle for some gas money. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> what was fucking paradigm was like 46 hours just crammed into four days. Yeah, but this then wouldn't happen podcast. if we didn't go to Paradigm. Yeah. That's what happens when you don't sleep for four days. You start yeah. a podcast. Yeah. So sign up for a monthly if you can. If not, uh, there's a bunch of different ways there you can help the show that don't cost you a thing. That include reviewing the show, sharing the show, uh, tweet the show, Facebook the show, Insta, whatever the show. Uh, sign people up for the newsletter, grimerica.ca slash news. Get your Grimerica swag, grimerica.ca slash swag. Spam the shit out of Graham. What else? The Hangouts? Like the, that's about it. Yeah, the Hangouts. 
check out the hangouts. So no agenda has their mastodon thing. We just got a the chat. A normal old the the good old chats. <laughs> I was telling one of the guys in there that they should start a no agenda one. Could be fun. Well, yeah, but they're kind of they have that instance in Mastodon, right? Do we want to? No, we don't want to do that one. Do we you? don't have enough. I said when we got to five hundred, we're at like one hundred and fifty. Right. We might never get to five hundred. Oh, one day. Anyway, that's America.ca slash hangout, and it's just a little weird uh, chat room where we got a bunch of people that are having a ball all the time. It really, is a, it I like really to call it the cool, perpetual chats. It really is a. He just likes to call it the chats. Check out the chats. <laughs> I'll see you in the chats. <laughs> I should have made the link right where I could not see slash the chats. Anyway, guys, check out the chats. <laughs> if you so, so see fit, there's a bunch of dudes in there, a couple women having a good time, having some crazy conversations. There's a lot of dash cam it's like the party flying line. around. It's like the party line. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like a way more sophisticated party line with a lot of pictures of people's day. I like that. Yeah, though. there is some. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of in there quite a bit. I like to pop in I, and I'll just scroll by and look at the pictures. <laughs> Did you That's watch it. my videos of me driving to? No. No, you didn't. So you don't even fuck you. Just, whenever it comes <laughs> to me, you're just ignoring it. I want to watch a video it. of you driving well, to fucking you, Saskatchewan when I'm going to, I don't need a fucking little teaser for my drive through Saskatchewan. No, it was just like day. a pick. I mean, it was just, you were doing the same thing. Yeah. Did you watch no. it? No. <laughs> There you have it. Because you said like <laughs> 10 of them, and I'm not going to sit there and watch them all. Mine were just pictures. Right. I thought there was a video now. No, I don't do videos. I want, I knew you'd bug me about the song that was playing on the radio. That's what why was I it? thought you. I'm not going to tell you now. I'll okay. check it out. It's still in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And the rule in the chat is if you don't have Avatar, I will kick your ass out. Oh, no. You got to bring Bill back in, though. Bill the show. Oh, shit. Yeah, Bill. Bill Anderson. Oh, you got his name? You know his name? Yeah. It's really Bill? Yeah. No. Well, there was Bill and Could Ben, and so we had a phantom bee at the bottom. I made a choice, kicked the one bee out. The bee was still there, so I had to kick out the other bee. So Bill or Ben, you guys are welcome to come back, but you're just creeping us out down there. We thought maybe you're CIA. Uh, so this is why he we was have, getting a nickname, Bill the Shell, because he was right. always hanging around but never seeing anything. And it, and it turns out it wasn't even Bill; it was Ben. <laughs> 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 the dude named Ben, of course. The dude named Ben was just kicking it. So this is why we have an avatar rule, guys. So have an avatar, or you're out. No, I'm just, just kidding. Some avatars people aren't people aren't getting them to work properly. They're saying, no, "Where's okay. my avatar?" I or the avatar back if and I forth. Click on their name; it'll go to their picture. And oh, if a picture there. Well, that's why. So there's a double will, avatar setting like for your homepage. No, or there's your... not. It just seems to take a while to update oh. sometimes. Oh, okay, but I check. And if you have an avatar there, I won't kick you out. But so far, the only one people I kicked out is Bill and Ben. And accidentally Gainer, because I thought it was you. <laughs> I kick you out when you piss me off. I've been kicked out a few times. <laughs> now you just leave. I'm just used to it. just leave when I come in. <laughs> Darren's here. I'm out. <laughs> I ne- I, honestly, I never noticed you coming in. I have a hard time paying attention to who's in there. To the avatars? Yeah. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week.
want a good skull for my synchronicity Graham reads it out, then Dara might give it to me Hey, don't you please read it low, yeah, yeah I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. Grimerica.ca slash support.